Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today I have with me in the studio the founder and owner of Hay Runner, Shannon Richards. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. I'm really intrigued by your company because you and I have known each other for a while, and I know that this is a kind of an evolution of the work that you've been doing for many years, and it, it sounds like you're really in a building phase. Mm, definitely. It's a it's very much a building phase, um, all in. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, what is Hayrunner? Hayrunner is a uh, a company that combines real estate. So on paper, or you know, upon first blush, I would say on the surface, it is real estate design, construction, and maintenance services or handyman services. And then if you go down a little deeper, there's some, you know, subtle. Um, it's a, a place for artists to find a, a landing spot. It's a place for growing and for maybe some unconventional um, activities to, to come together in a design-build company. So that's some of the stuff we're nurturing right now. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it is. So what caused you to um, move out of, say, say, just a building space or just a real estate space and think, I need to do something more comprehensive? Such a great question. Um, so I have a sculpture degree. I have an arts degree. And I think the way that I look at it is I'm really just not fulfilled doing one thing. The things that bring me the greatest satisfaction um, is bringing, collecting things to bring together and creating something from that. So creating, I always say, creating something from nothing is the hardest thing you can do. Doing it well is that much harder, right? So I always feel like a sense of accomplishment when I can pull together things that really work together and create something typically that functions. So I've created this business that in some ways is a tool for bringing together these different subjects that need to be together, I think, in a lot of ways to work successfully. And um, and that's like gratifying. And then I look forward, I was just saying to Caleb this morning, my partner, it's still it's still so much of a build moment. I really look forward to like a time when it's not just surviving, but thriving. And I know that's coming, which is exciting. So give me an example of something that you're working on. So if if I'm if I'm watching or listening to mm -hmm. this interview and I'm thinking, okay, I, I kind of get it, but mm -hmm. I get the concept, but I, I really need to dig into this a little bit more. What's an example of something that people might understand? Well, um, let's see. If you, let's say that you had a little project in your house and you, you guys have built a great house here and you've been taking care of it and it's like 15, 20 years old and you think, I need somebody who understands the value of what we've already done but it's something that's maybe a little bit smaller or quirky or you probably need a permit for it. But, it, you know, there's some talent that you need. And a lot of the really great builders out there are doing new construction as they should be. They're doing a fantastic job. So there's a real hole in the market there. So that's just one aspect of it. And then in addition to that, um, a real estate component, having somebody and a company that understands designing. And when I say design, I mean planning um, the understanding of permitting, that, that whole in the middle that puts these pieces together. So a lot, finding somebody or an entity that understands the real estate side of things and has a license and can ad advise and be an expert, it really does feed, they all feed together. Do you know what I mean? And the markets, the way that they go up and down, it's nice to have that cushion of like, okay, well, these spike in the spring, these dip, and, you know, so you've got that um, 
that ability to kind of ride the wave and it's not as much of a feast or famine. How did you move from your interest in art and the degree that you got that was Mm -hmm. art focused Mm -hmm. toward real estate? Great question. So I think the reason I'm, I have real estate is I started as a very young person in restaurants. And so I understood I had to, at the time it was all cash and it was tips and I was a waitress and you kind of understand how to service somebody. Okay. So what is it that they're looking for? They might not want to spend a lot of money. They might want to spend a little bit. They might want to spend a lot. How do you understand very quickly what it is that's going to satisfy their needs at this moment? And I think I just, I put myself through school doing that. And then I think even as a young business person, brokering was something I was constantly doing. So you, you become expert at selling and understanding. Somebody comes to you, they, they have a need. You have to understand, do I have something that could fulfill that need? So having a real estate license is nice because it allows me to have that control, that information, and the ability to, to get from A to B much quicker than if I have to go through somebody else who doesn't have the intuition that I have. You know what I mean? So sales is a natural part of business, frankly. And how do you feel that your undergraduate work in art has contributed to the work that you're doing currently? Oh, hugely. I mean, I'm so grateful that I, I took like the all-in approach back then. It was a big risk to go to get a sculpture degree. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely fed my the whole engine, you know, getting there and, and learning and studying um, amongst colleagues who were driven in some of the same ways and focusing on how to make something. I typically ended up making something that was uh, functional. So learning how things work and didn't work, you know, it, it was a natural transition. And then building furniture and fixtures just was a way to also practice adding value. to. Uh, if there's enough value and somebody's going to pay you for it, you, that's success, right? And if I go, I still go back to Syracuse and there are flower boxes I made for a restaurant. I still can see them there. They're made out of steel and they're still you know, rusting away, but look cool. So, you know, when you start, you say, oh, okay, well, that worked. Somebody's willing to pay you for it. You you kind of follow that path, you know. What was it about sculpture that appealed to you? Um, I think the idea that it's a three-dimensional, I love drawing, but the idea that there's something um, substantive and and dimensional and and real at the end, you know what I mean? I love paintings, don't get me wrong. Like I love to draw and paint. It, it's also really, I mean, how many wall, how many, you know, how much space can I fit? And it felt to me like, I don't know, the pull was there, you know? What is your connection to Maine? I was born here. I was born at Maine Medical Center. I'm from the Castine down east area, but we had, my parents were there, my all of my family has been merchant mariners. My dad shipped out, my stepdad shipped out, my whole family went to Maine Maritime. And um, I don't know, I think that my pull to come back here after school was huge. It's just, it. where can you be near the ocean, near the mountains? It's all the same things that all of you think, everybody here who's living here, they all know the secret sauce why we're here. You know, small population, safe, Do you lock, you don't have to lock your doors necessarily, that kind of thing. So it was a no-brainer to come back here and set up shop. So it sounds like you have kind of a more of an ocean-going family. Definitely. Based on what you're saying. But, yep. 
but the work you're doing now seems a little bit more land focused. Mm -hmm. Do you bring the water element into the work that you do now? Oh, that's such a nice question. Yeah, we're just starting a um, island runners crew. So to help the islanders, I mean, I think of Maine as an island in itself, like we're gals, right? There's an emergency. It's like get a shovel. You know, it's like all hands on deck. This is Maine. And that's just a little bit of a graduated version of what's happening on islands. So um, I love being on the ocean. We have, Caleb and I have an old wooden boat. Um, It's a Lyman. And I think it's a 69, 68, 69. We're we're actually doing some work on it. Wooden boats need to be worked on all the time. So, um, oh, you know what? To going back to your earlier question of what are you doing that's fun? This is fun. We bought an old school in Lyman, Maine, which is not the boat, has nothing to do with each other, but just a coincidence. And it's a 10,000 square foot masonry building that had been left empty for years and years and years. And we're turning it into studios, has six acres. So we're trying to build basically like an art um, enclave or a place for studios. And we've already got some of the people who work with me. We have a plant division we just started, which is interior plant decor. And they have their studio there, and we've got our studio, and we're starting to um, renovate and add studios for other artists. So that's kind of fun, right? That's very fun. Right. Yes. I kind of forgot about that one. <laughs> I mean, I think it is interesting when you're newly, newly, I guess, investing in a different sort of business, because you, you've you know, been in business for a very long time, long time. now in, yep. in many ways. Yeah, 25 years, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. So this, this is just, again, the next iteration iteration mm-hmm. of what you've been doing but um, the amount of time and effort and creativity that goes into that sometimes can cause you to feel like oh do I actually have any mental or emotional space for anything else yeah so what's great about what you're describing is that it's still technically part of the business but it, mm-hmm. it seems like it provides this additional layer of joy that totally. you can consider fun absolutely it's so important it's inspiring. It's so important to be like, okay, we're in this rat race. What are we doing with our life? Like, let's leave something behind that we're proud of. You know, like I always say, let's leave it a little better than we found it, you know? And and that's true. I think that's what art is for me. It's it's what makes it worth living for, basically. Why a wooden boat? They're beautiful. They're absolutely divine. And I think it's a, again, like a labor of love, right? Like the arts, you just, it's a picnic boat. It's beautiful. I'll take you out on it. It's really quite lovely. And, um, you know, less money to acquire, more to maintain. But when you're passionate about wood and the materials and when you look at it, it's stunning. So no complaints. Is this something that you had access to when you were growing up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were on the water all the time. But particularly the wooden boats. Oh, um, no, I wasn't. I just, I've always been, my mom used to say, take you anywhere, Shannon, you'll find the most expensive thing in the room. And like, I just have a, it's a natural, you know, orientation towards things that are of finer quality. So that's one of them. Can't help it. I mean, I, I think my husband might say that about me at times, so I can relate to that. I don't think there's a problem. We may with have it. that in common. Yeah, it's, it's not like you're running around saying, I need, I need to have all the stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, if I'm going to invest in something, let's make it something nice. That's and right. Something that will stay with us for a long time. That's right. Absolutely. That's 100% how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Well, don't need it all. But what I do have, I want it to be nice. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. So I know Caleb Johnson is your partner and Mm -hmm. he's an architect and Mm -hmm. I've actually, I've interviewed him before. Mm -hmm. So, um, what is that like to be, um, have a partner who is an architect and you have your own design and art background and real estate and how, how do you collaborate on things? Yeah, we do. I mean, this is the school we're doing together. Um, we have two households that we, it's not entirely blended because we have, his kids are in Biddeford schools, mine are in Portland schools, but we have um, kind of figured it out in a way and we go back and forth every week on, week off. And then in terms of work, um, we bought my office together. My company is buying us out now that it's kind of like got in there. We've got it all figured out. Some of his staff who needed places to sit because he was outgrowing his space are in my office. We just finished buying them a beautiful historic building in Portland. We closed last Friday. So they'll be transitioning out. So we support one another through, you know, these kind of adjacent activities. And it's transactional in some ways. We do a lot of like, like we don't really collaborate at the office anymore. We did work together for a while, as you know. Um, And that was really successful at building his company. But, you know, once that got to a certain point and we decided to be together as in a romantic way, we separated. And that's where I started to grow or started Hey Runner. And, um, yeah, so I think we just kind of figure it out as we go. We're very creative, you know, artistic. And we were at the museum last night for the uh, Winter Bash. And I'm not sure if there were more people that spent more time in the the um, gallery itself, you know, really like exploring the art that's there. We really, that's something that really connects us. And do you find that you learn from his architecture background? Oh, definitely. Oh, hundred percent. Anytime we travel, he's, he's so smart and he reads so much and he, um, his experience and his talents. I mean, I, I think he's probably the most talented, no offense to all the other amazing architects, but I'm a huge fan of his work and his methodology, um, his draw to, to quality, his draw to, to the details. Um, so yeah, I've learned endlessly from him and business wise too. He's a very smart business person. So I like to think that I bring some of the softer things (laughs) to the, you know, I give him some of the softer skills and I have the, like the instincts that I was describing, but he's just very, he's very well read and very, he has great instincts too. I don't mean to say that, but. Well, that was going to be my next question is, you know, it sounds like in partnership, you both are contributing in pretty significant ways. And so tell me what a softer skill is for you. Well, like the instincts of like, you know, he would be the first to say if he were here, I'll say, um, oh, I noticed this thing. It feels like there's a hole. Something's missing. There's some information missing. And I'm, I'm willing to bet it's either A or B or C. We were just talking about this yesterday. And he was like, boy, that's, I, I don't have that. He's like, you're right. And most of the time I'm right. And I, I'll predict these things. So the ability to predict forecast based on intuition, I have, I have a pretty, and I obviously study the numbers and I'm pretty data driven also, but usually there's a nuance there that I can bring to the conversation that's helpful. Well, it's it's interesting that you're talking about being data-driven and you're kind of equating that with more of a numerical data. Mm -hmm. But I've been in a conversation recently with somebody who pointed out to me, well, you know, qualitative data is is also data. Mm -hmm. So what you're describing is maybe more 
more of a feeling, more of an intuition. It's maybe more qualitative than quantitative, but mm-hmm. it's still data. It's so true. When you collect qualitative data over years and years and years, and you, you can tend to say like, oh, I was right about that, then that's absolutely fundamental to success. I'd love to show you my spreadsheets, though. Like, I get right up in there. Well, I think it's good to be able to speak both languages. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 100%. And I also think that, you know, one of my interviews a few months ago, there was a conversation about soft skills mm-hmm. and this idea that maybe traditionally qualitative information or softer skills mm-hmm. are looked down upon in some mm. way. And people would say, well, the numbers are what's important. But I actually think that if we could value what we're getting from lots of different places, then that doesn't make a soft skill any more or less valuable than totally. I guess I'll call a hard skill of um, numerical data gathering. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think you would have, like the data nerds would come to the table and say that. They would be like, well, I've got the data, but I really need somebody to help me understand some of the nuances. Anybody who's really, I think, probably expert understands what they don't know, that there's a nuance. So, and my mom, my mother is a, um, an intuitive. So I was raised in a very intuitively encouraging environment. So follow your intuition, follow your, she was the one that said, you know, I said, I think I need to go to art school. I, I understood very young that success would only come from being creative. And she said, absolutely, you need to follow your intuition. That's what's going to lead you to success. So I agree. I think that there's a, there's a nuance there. But I, I think a lot of people that we run across who are, are ex, like excelling or expert and successful, they understand that. Don't you agree? You probably don't get a lot of like real stern, like, no, you got to do it this one way that are being, that are really pulling it off. Well, my favorite thing to do is to be in a room full of people, each of whom understand what we're calling data from a really different place. Mm -hmm. So to be in a room with somebody who's the finance person and somebody who's the operations person Mm -hmm. and somebody who's the human resources person, Mm -hmm. because I think that when you can actually build on that collaboration and Mm. each person bringing something to the table, but everybody trying to also understand and value what the other person brings. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just, that leads to um, such rich experiences compared to if you just take one path that's Mm -hmm. dictated by one person. Oh, completely. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the nuance of leadership. Good leadership these days is saying, look, I've got our heading. I sit around the room with every person you just said, we have an ops meeting once a week and I have those people at the table with me and I might be driving the boat, but it's not on my own. And you have to take, there has to be collective agreement and influence and you have to be open to that. And that's what I think is really successful. Well, as you're talking about your mother, I'm thinking about my mother who um, was a math teacher for many years in Mm -hmm. math and science, Mm -hmm. but she also comes from this Irish background. And it's a very intuitive, um, mm-hmm. group of individuals. Mm-hmm. And, um, my mom of course watches or listens to radio main every week. So mom, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry to out you in front of everybody and <laughs> tell everybody how intuitive you are. But for me, it is just fascinating because mm-hmm. I think there's the side of her that is very math and organized and straightforward. Mm-hmm. But then there's this interesting kind of mystical mother Mary thing that's mm-hmm. going on that, that I just love about her. Totally. Yeah. And we're, we're Irish. American. My mother is Mary. Her name's Mary. Oh, see, see we've got I the mother the Mary intu- thing. <laughs> Intuition, yes. it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I think we are. Yeah. There's this like old, well, I think female 
encouraging to, you know, heal. And um, that's a big part of, I think, our lives. If we are, I mean, I'm a mother. There's a lot there you can't explain. You just know. That is true. And, <laughs> and what I also like about these days is understanding that what we've traditionally associated with feminine energy is mm-hmm. something that actually is in mm-hmm. anyone of it's any true. kind yeah. of self, um, mm-hmm. self-described mm-hmm. orientation. That's so true. we've got mm-hmm. the masculine and the feminine. It's mm-hmm. very Chinese medicine. It's yin mm-hmm. and yang. Mm-hmm. And we all have aspects of all of this. Completely. So we don't have to feel locked in anymore to, well... If mm-hmm. I'm a man, I have to be a finance man. Right. Or if I'm a woman, then I have, I have to, to yeah. do and more. Be a stay-at-home. Well, and also like the value, I was just saying the other day about the value of being um, a great stay-at-home mom is it's just as valuable. You're, you are stewarding our future generations. And then if you're somebody like me who's like, I feel fulfilled working and I have these great kids who... I've always had, luckily had really great nannies to help and people in my family is always like, I have a huge family. Everybody's all in. So I just think if you're going to do something, give it everything you've got, you know, if it's, and use your, I mean, I'm a woman in design and construction. There are a lot of us around nowadays, but it's not traditionally, a lot of times I'm the only person of my gender at the table, you know, growing, coming up the ranks anyway. It's changing now, but. Yeah. I mean, the same is true in medicine. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the higher, the further along I go in medical leadership, the fewer and fewer there are of us who right. have a specific chromosomal designation. <laughs> totally. So I'm looking around and there are many wonderful leaders that I work with who happen yeah. to be female, but they're not necessarily, um, they haven't come through the medical profession. Yep. So it Makes is, sense. it is interesting and it yeah. is changing. Yeah. So it's a, an interesting kind of, I've found it to be an interesting foot in both camps really Definitely. that where I came from in my training and my experience and where we are now, mm-hmm. they're very different. Yeah. Agreed. And, yeah. And the people who are coming along now, mm-hmm. they don't really understand what was mm-hmm. and, and the people that came through before, mm-hmm. sometimes it's easy to feel a little, I don't want to say disrespected exactly, but maybe misunderstood yeah. by people who are coming along now. Yeah. Well, and that's probably generational too, right? I was talking with Danielle Betts. Do you know her from Knickerbocker? Yeah, we were talking the other day, and she was saying the same thing. When she was coming up the ranks, she really uh, was mentored by a colleague who was a little bit a little bit further along, um, and I'm forgetting her name. I've met her before from SMRT. You might know her too. Um, but it's just really great to see that like there is this generational hand down of the baton. Like I know what you're probably going through. Maybe it's a little different. You know, Danielle's maybe a little bit older than me, but not much. But she's like. Hey, you know, we got together the other day and she was like, try this. Have you thought of this? Let's get back together. Keep it on the regular. So that kind of support is also nice when it comes from people who have, you know, kind of a little bit of an understanding, a little different, but there's some overlap. Yeah, mm-hmm. Important. Mm-hmm. Tell me why the name Hay Runner. Hay Runner, good question. So I was inspired reading this. Um, it was a... Um, biography about Cornelius Vanderbilt. And he started out, it was inspiring to me. I I understand like along the ways he was like this old white guy and you know, it was a man's world and blah, blah, blah. But you have to find inspiration where you can. He started out running hay in little Periauger boats from Staten Island to Manhattan Island during the war of 1812. And he was known for being this person who would always show up no matter what, if it was shrapnel or weather. 
and the horses always ate the hay. He always he was running hay to feed the horses that were in the war, and they say that the um, the cavalry is what won the war because they always had food. They could always count on him. And he started, he, you know, his parents were Dutch farmers. They wanted him to be a Dutch farmer. He had a fourth grade education. And he was like, you know what? No, I've got to follow my instincts. And he started going after um, steam shipping. He was, you know, he just basically started doing these things that he was driven to do. And he started bringing together and consolidating these different industries that needed to be uh, consolidated. And then it was not many years later, he owned $1 for every $20 in the United States of America. He was driven. And there are some things he did wrong along the way that I don't want to repeat. But, you know, it's I it was inspiring to me at the time that I was starting this. Well, it sounds like he his diversity of interests is not that dissimilar to the diversity of interests right. that you're weaving together. Yep. And he's an islander, which I can relate to. And, yep. He was close with his mom. <laughs> There's all kinds of like little things in there I thought were cool. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I've enjoyed catching up with you and learning about where you are now today. Thanks. Since Me too. I've been, you know, kind of, you and I have rotated in the same circles for mm-hmm. many years now totally. and seeing what each other is up to has been very interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and I appreciate your taking the time Thank and you. talking today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I know it's been a pandemic. It's nice to see you again. <laughs> it <laughs> has been a pandemic. We used to see each other all the time and now it's like you don't see anybody. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We're all emerging once again. Yep. Exactly. So yeah. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Thank you. I'm Dr. Lisa Belisle and you have been listening to or watching Radio Maine. And today I've been speaking with the owner and founder of Hay Runner, Shannon Richards. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.